This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. So Proverbs chapter 20, just the one verse, verse 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. In Job 32 and 8, But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Men of old readily understood and accepted that there was a third dimension to us as human beings. We are more than just mere body and soul. Uh, We have spirit right at the very core of the most complex beings that God ever created is this thing called spirit. And this is what separates us. This is what makes us a class apart from all other life on this planet. Our spirit is given several names in Scripture, most of which are synonymous. We read some of them, like heart, or the lamp of the Lord, or the candle of the Lord, or the inner man, or the belly, the innermost being, that means. And after you receive Christ as your personal Savior, then you are born again from above, and your spirit is recreated. You have a born-again, recreated spirit. And so Paul calls that the new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Or the new man, in Ephesians 4.24, as opposed to the old man, the old sinful man, has now been transformed into this new man in Christ Jesus. Or as 1 Peter 3.4 says, the, the hidden man of the heart. And so your spirit, your innermost being, your heart has the capacity to know God, to love God, to worship God, to serve God, to follow God. Your spirit has that wonderful capacity to do that. Therefore, we have to take care of our spirit. Therefore, we have to guard our hearts, as the scripture says in Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart. Keep it with all diligence. For out of it springs the very issues of life. The NIV puts it this way. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The living paraphrase puts it this way. Above all else, guard your affections, for they influence everything else in your life. The amplified version Keep your heart with all diligence and above all that, is your, all that you guard, for out of it flows the springs of life. The Lord Jesus was always at loggerheads with the religious Pharisees and scribes. And they came to him one time and says, Why do your disciples not wash according to the, the traditions of the elders before they eat? And it wasn't that the disciples were unhygienic. Of course, in those days, people mainly ate with their, with their fingers. So it wasn't that they were unhygienic. It's just that they weren't washing according to the elders of the traditions, according to all these crazy rules they made up that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And 
They had rules about washing their pots and their pans and their kettles and everything else. That had to be done in a special way, in a different way. And so Jesus just took them to task over that. And this is what he said in Mark 7, 15. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things that come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. And then verse 21, 22. For from within, out of the heart, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees were more interested in the externals of the religion. Christ was interested in the internals, the heart. All the washing of the pots and the pans was all external works. But it was the heart that Christ looked at because it's from the heart issues, the things of life. In Matthew 12, 35, Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. And the old saying is true, isn't it? The issue of the heart is the heart of the issue. The reason why people don't get saved is not because they can't understand. It's not because of their mind. It's because of their heart. It's the issue of the heart. There's something in the heart that's rebellious against God. That's the old man. That's the sin nature. And if that's changed, if the heart has changed, then everything has changed. So the issue of the heart is always the heart of the issue. And there's people you may know and you have witnessed to a million times, and they could quote you scripture after scripture. They know all your arguments. But the issue with them is not up here. The issue is down here. It's that 18 inches between the head and the heart. But if that ever gets into the heart, then they will change. Verse 34 of Matthew 12. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in there in the heart will come out. It will manifest at some point. Usually, usually when we're under pressure, stuff comes out that's hidden in the heart. And so the admonition here is that our hearts, our spirit man, our inner man must be guarded. It must be kept. It must be watched with diligence at all times because that is the center of all of our affections and desires. That is the wellspring. That is the outflow. That's the overflow of our lives. And especially now that we have been redeemed and we have been born again from above, now especially since this has become the habitation of God, the Holy Spirit. Now especially we have to keep and guard our hearts at all times. So what do we guard our spirits from? What do we guard our hearts against? First of all, attacks from within. Attacks from within. There's a little verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. It says, puts it this way, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment. And the, and the King James, it says, the apothecary. Uh, these were the perfumers. These were the ones who made perfumes for the king. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom 
and honor. In other words, a little foolishness can ruin a reputation. Whenever the perfumers made their perfume and they mixed together their special oils and maybe their citrus fruits, maybe their spices, and maybe added some water and they made a paste of that and maybe they made a, an ointment of that that would be highly aromatic, would be a wonderful smell. And they would make sure they had a lid on it. But sometimes either through carelessness or forgetfulness or whatever, a distraction, the lid has been left off. And of course that smell would attract the flies. And they would come and of course like bees to a honeypot would do. And whenever their little feet would get into that ointment, then they would get stuck fast. And eventually they would die and they'd be buried in that. And after a while, that would spoil that perfume and it would give off a stink. Dead flies cause the ointment of the perfumer to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. And so we have to be careful of the flies that wants to lodge in our spirit. It could be flies of anger or jealousy or envy or bitterness or pride. All kinds of flies that want to get in and lodge there. And if they do, then they will eventually cause a stink, an odor. We should be the fragrance of Christ. But if those flies get in, then it will be a wrong aroma that will come from us. And so we have to be careful then of what we allow to get into our spirit. We, we live in a world that we're bombarded daily with stuff of this world coming against us continually through ears and through our eyes especially. And we need to be careful that that, that oftentimes is not godly, doesn't get into our spirit. You can't help it getting into your ears when you work with it and you live with it or whatever the case may be in your case. But to get into your spirit is a different thing. And so we have to be careful not to allow those attacks from within to damage our spirit. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. Then, of course, there are attacks from without. And if I may read again from from Ephesians uh, chapter 6, which is well known to you, of course, the armor of God uh, passage, Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications with all the saints. And so there will be attacks from the outside, and that's why... God has put in his Bible his armor in order for us to protect ourselves. 
to make sure that our spirit is not damaged, that the inner man is not damaged. When Satan comes as the father of lies, we have the girdle of truth. Satan is a liar. He's a liar from the beginning. He cannot do anything else, only lie. It's his nature. And so when he comes to us, he will lie. He will whisper in our ear, as it were, a lie from the very pit of hell. And if that gets into our spirit, then we're in trouble. But we can counteract that because we have the girdle of truth. How did Jesus counteract Satan in the wilderness? By truth. By truth. He quoted scripture. He had the truth at his disposal. <laughs> the same truth that you and I have got tonight. And so we have a girdle of truth in order to help to protect us. When Satan comes as the accuser of the brethren, the slander of the brethren, we have the breastplate of righteousness. Now, of course, he could come and rightly accuse us because in our humanity and in our imperfections and in our faults and our failings, no doubt there could be times when he could rightly accuse us before God that we have done wrong, we have not done the right thing or said the right thing or behaved the right way. But even that, even that is not enough to penetrate the breastplate of righteousness because we have a right standing with God. And so we can come before the Father, we can ask his forgiveness and repent of what we have done. And then he can't touch us because we have the breastplate of righteousness, our right standing with God. When Satan comes with his fiery darts of fear or temptation or worry or persecution, he comes to steal and kill and destroy, we have the shield of faith. And the shield of faith to the Roman soldier, the shield, I should say, to the Roman soldier was vital and it was versatile. It was absolutely vital. When they went to battle, they had to have their shield and they took good care of their shield. And the shield was versatile in that if arrows came straight at them, they could put the shield up. If they tried to shower them with arrows, they could put it above their head. It was versatile. And those fiery darts that they flew at those Roman soldiers, they would hit those shields and they would drop off or they would die on the, on the shield as it were. They would be extinguished. And so we have a shield of faith. God has given us this wonderful thing called faith. So that when those fiery darts of the enemy comes against us, we have something to protect ourselves. We have a belief. We have something that we can believe in and someone we can believe in. We have a shield of faith to be able to do that. When Satan comes and bombards our minds with terrible, awful thoughts to discourage us, to defeat us, then we have the helmet of salvation to guard our minds. It's so important that we guard our minds too. If the enemy's going to get at your spirit, nine times out of ten, he'll come through your mind first. You may have the purest heart. You may love God with all of your heart. You may be passionate about God in your heart. But if the enemy can come through your mind and try to damage your heart through your mind, get you thinking, get you thinking the wrong way, get you thinking the wrong things continually. And if you continually begin to think the wrong things, that will drop into your spirit. And so we have the helmet of salvation. And Philippians 4, 
verse 6, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Where, where do you become anxious? You become anxious in your mind, don't you? Uh, there's a worry thought. There's an anxious thought. There's a fearful thought. And it comes into your mind. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard. That's a military term. Will garrison, will stand guard around your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so there's protection for our minds. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think, meditate on these things. See, there's a good admonition, isn't it? There's so much in this world to disturb us, to bother us, to frighten us, to make us anxious or afraid. And that's why you've got to have the peace of God to protect not just your heart, but your very mind. And so we have the helmet of salvation. When Satan comes to shake us, to buffet us, we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Amplified Version says in verse 15, having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability, the promptness and readiness produced by the good news, the gospel of peace. And so Paul here likens our footwear spiritually to the footwear that the Roman soldier wore, which was leather with little pieces of metal in the soles sparbles, we used to call them hobnailed boots years ago. And they gave them a grip because they had lots of walking to do, lots of marching, lots of standing, lots of fighting. And the ground that they fought on wasn't level. <laughs> it was rocky terrain. It was difficult. But because they had the proper footwear when they were fighting, they were able to stand against their enemy. And that gave them an advantage in the battle and in the fighting. And so we need to be able to stand. Notice here, though, he says, and this is interesting, that in this battle, in this fight, our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. He's talking about war, spiritual war, and yet he says our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. Why do you think he said that? Well, you see, if you're not at peace with yourself you're going to find it very hard to win the battle of life. And sometimes we're not at peace with ourselves, either through guilt or through confusion or through anxiety or worry or fear, or we're not at peace with others. We have fallen out with somebody. We're not at peace with others around us. And if you're not at peace with yourself, you're not at peace with others, it's going to be very hard to be at peace with God. And so we need to be at peace. And we need to have peace. If we're going to win in the struggles and the battles of life, we need to have a peace that passes all understanding. Peace with ourselves, Colossians 3.15 tells us that. Peace with each other, 1 Thessalonians 5.13. Peace with God. <laughs> 
peace with God. If we have peace with God, then we can have the peace of God. If we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God, which is a peace. Jesus says, peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Different kind of peace. It's the peace of God. He also talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. The Roman soldier, his greatest weapon was his two-edged sword. It was only about 18 inches long. It wasn't a great big unwieldy sword. It was a two-edged light sword where he could get inside. And they were greatly feared. They were experts at using it. And because it was double-edged, it was very, very fatal when they struck the enemy. And so it was a, a weapon of great caliber. It was the high-tech weapon of its day. And it won them many battles and wars because they were good at it. They get inside and they could use that two-edged sword. And this word of God to us is a two-edged sword, isn't it? And so we are well-equipped for our hearts to be guarded from attacks from within and attacks from without. In Proverbs 25 and 28, listen to what it says here. Let me read it to you from the, from the King James. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. In the Living Translation, a man without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. The New American Standard, like a city that is broken down and without walls, is a man who has no control over his own spirit. The man or woman who will not take control over their spirit is going to be in a difficult position and the enemy will use it against them time and time again because there's big gaps in the wall that's broken down and the enemy is going to come in there and he knows what buttons to press he knows what chain to yank he knows what's going to get on your goat he knows what's going to get you head up he knows that and if the defense is not up for that then he's going to get right in there You have a choice. You are not at the mercy of circumstances. You can choose to love or to hate, to forgive or to bear grudge, to harbor resentment or to show grace. You can make that choice. Peter was a man who had to learn to rule his spirit because <laughs> reading Peter's life as we did a while back, we could see that for a long, long time he was not in control of himself. He was out of control, in fact. There was one time, <laughs> there was one time Jesus said, who do you say I am? And immediately he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed us to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, you have been spokesman for God right there, Peter. You've said the right thing. you said what God has spoken to you. You've been a spokesman for God. But a little bit later, Jesus turned around to the same man and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You savor not the things that be in men, the things that be of God, but the things that be in men. He called him, You're a spokesman for Satan. So one day he's a spokesman for God, the next day he was a spokesman for Satan. He had no rule over his spirit. Of course, we couldn't possibly be that, sure we couldn't. 
We couldn't be a spokesman or woman for God one day and a spokesman or woman for the devil the next day. Sure we couldn't. Is nobody going to answer me? <laughs> I think all of us has been at some point or other. All of us has been like that, haven't we? But we need to control and have rule over our own city. Our own spirit. One day he was, he was swearing on dying loyalty to Christ. He turns around. I can imagine turn around and waving his hand. If all these forsake you, I'll not forsake you. That was a very big statement, wasn't it? If all these forsake you, I'll not forsake you. Really? Really? Don't you know, Peter, that before the morning is out, that you're going to deny me three times? Did you not know that? Of course he didn't know that, did he? I'm paraphrasing a wee bit. And so one day, he's just full of bravery. And the next day, he's the biggest card imaginable. Because he had no rule over his spirit. But eventually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he began to keep, keep, take control of his own spirit. The day of Pentecost, here was this cowardly man who, didn't, who would not stand for Christ, who ran. And here he is, and he's standing up on the day of Pentecost, and he's preaching a marvelous sermon, wonderful sermon. Thousands of people came to Christ and what he preached. He had submitted himself to the grace of God. He had now ruled over his spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. And really, as believers, that is the way that we are going to have rule over our spirit. It's going to be by the Holy Spirit. Because our human spirit will want to rebel against the things of God. But the Holy Spirit in us will enable us to receive and accept and obey the things of God. And so he learned to rule over his spirit. He was a good man. He was a zealous man. But he was out of control until he was filled with the Holy Ghost and now suddenly he's a submissive man he's in control because he's controlled by the Holy Spirit and he submitted himself to the grace of God in 1 Peter 5 and 10 he talks about the God of all grace have any ever him, there's him and Paul especially have any to ever <laughs> saw the benefits and the blessings of the grace of God, it was those two, for different reasons. <coughs> and Peter realized the grace of God in his life, how that changed him. Second Peter 3.18, he says, grow in grace. That's the environment in which we grow in as believers, in grace. First Peter 5 and 12, he says, stand in grace. And First Peter 4 and 10, he talks about the manifold grace of God. He talks a lot about grace because he realized how much of grace he needed in his own life. And we need the grace of God too, to guard our spirits. He submitted himself to the very power of God, 1 Peter 1 and 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. He received the power of God. He submitted himself unto the word of God. Do you know that on the day of Pentecost when he preached that sermon, do you know that more than half of that sermon was just scriptures. You can go right through it. 
he was full of the word of God. And when he began to preach, it just flowed from him. All the word that he had read, all the word that he understood, all the word that he had been taught, all of that began to flow out of the Spirit under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And when he got up to preach, it wasn't a particularly long sermon, but it was a powerful one because it was filled with God's word. And it cut them to their hearts. It cut them to their hearts. Men, what must we do to be saved? It cut them to their hearts. He submitted himself to the word of God. He submitted himself unto the love of God. He submitted himself to the love of God. Do you want to guard your heart tonight? I want to guard my heart because I know my heart is so easily, can be so easily deceived and tricked. And if you think you're, can't, you're filling yourself, it can't be. Alan Redprath, one of the greatest Baptist preachers that ever lived, he shocked a conference one time. He was preaching at a great conference, and he shocked them. He just finished preaching. He says, do you know? He says, there is not one sin that I couldn't commit right now. <laughs> Only for the grace of God. Only because of the mercy of God, I don't. So we need to understand our hearts. We need to understand that they've got to be guarded. We need to understand that all of us, let him who stands take heed lest what? Lest he falls. We need to constantly guard our hearts. Listen, many years ago, there was a man in the church, and I was preaching not this message, but something similar to this message. Something similar. And at the end of the message, and I'll say it to you tonight too. At the end of the message, I said, look, there's going to be an opportunity, and it may come tomorrow. In fact, it may come before you leave this church tonight. And the opportunity will be for you to get offended or angry at something. And do you know that same person, that before that meeting was over, before he left this building, he blew up. He exploded with somebody. And he charged down those stairs and he slammed the door on the way out. <laughs> and it just proved my point. And he didn't get it. He didn't see it. He sat through the whole service listening. And at the end of it, he did the very thing that you're not supposed to do because he didn't guard his heart. So let's guard our hearts, all right? It's a tough job. It's not an easy job. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the help of the Word of God to do it. But if we do it, we'll be the better for it, and everybody around us will be the better for it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your Word can strengthen us and help us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives every single day. Lord, where would we be tonight without your grace and your mercy? We would be lost, would be undone, would be bound for a hell. But because of your grace and mercy, we're saved, we're born again of your spirit. And so, Lord, we look to you every day that we may guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flow the very issues of life. And so we give you thanks for this incoming week and this incoming new year. And we pray, Lord, as we go into it, Lord, it will be well prepared to walk in your ways. 
And Lord, it will be able to control our very spirits by your Holy Spirit. And so we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk